Greetings, friends. Will Menneker here. Um, I am going just in just a few seconds. I will be talking to the president of the newly formed Amazon Union, Chris Smalls. But uh, sit tight. We'll be back uh, after that. Uh, he was a busy, busy man. It's only a 20 minute interview, but we'll be back after that with fresh Shoppa for this week. So without further ado, Chris Smalls of the Amazon Union. Okay. Um, joining me uh, now is uh, the man of the hour here in New York and now the rest of the country. It's Chris Smalls, president of the newly formed Amazon Union. Chris, how's it going? Thank you for having me. It's going crazy, but uh, it's crazy good for a good reason. Yeah, it's pretty busy, I'd imagine. Um, before I get into like uh, you know the history of what you've done here, uh, I just want to ask like what are the what are the status of negotiations now like with a contract and like where where do you and the union stand now as, as it relates like you know uh like Amazon and like getting a contract at the JFK 8 facility yeah well as we can expect you know the company going to fight this tooth and nail so uh we're in the beginning stages of it we're still trying to uh, get certified officially at the disputes that they're going to raise uh this coming days so we're preparing ourselves for that you know it's going to be um you know a little uphill legal battle to get this all uh, sorted out. But after this legal battle is over and we're officially certified, uh, we're going to continue to walk into bubblegum at the same time and, and propose our contract right away. We're not going to hesitate or wait. We don't want this to be a long dragged out process. So I'm sorry, long drawn out pr- process. So we're going to start right away with that. All right. Well, I mean, so like, uh, like what, what brought you to this moment? I mean, you started out working there. Um, like what, what, what were like, what was the light that went off in your head that thought like, Hey, maybe we could use a union here at, at this Amazon facility. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, my journey started two years ago when I let a walk out outside of the same facility that we just unionized. Uh, JFA. You know, I let a walk out over COVID-19. I was fired publicly uh, two hours later. Um, then Jeff Bezos himself signed off on a smear campaign raised by his general counsel. Uh, calling me not smart or articulate, uh, ironically making the face of the um, unionizing effort. And, you know, when I continued to advocate for workers' rights for about a year and a half, um, we started our campaign here in Staten Island. We wanted to bring it back home. And and uh, we started unionizing and organizing. And we realized that we had something special where we can get it done. And it was working for us. You know, a brand-new worker-led um, independent union with no major backing, um, no establishment behind us uh we we seen that this resonated with the amazon workers more so so we continue to do so i mean a lot has been written about you know what the conditions are like in these amazon facilities i was wondering if you could just describe for us like what is a typical day at the jfk 8 facility oh wow but i used to tell my um new hires they got a gym membership they got to cancel me you know so these buildings are 14 nfl football fields the size uh they're almost about a million and a half square feet are just under that um, you're walking around doing 10 to 12 hours of calisthenics and, um, you know, your commute could be two and a half hours if you live, depending on where you live in uh, New York City or New Jersey, um, like myself, um, your commute was long. So that's not even including your commute. Your days are almost like 16 hour days. So the physicality of the job is, is definitely um, a huge reason why workers don't last very much long at the uh, at the company. 
And you know, Amazon, like uh, you know, from like a management level on down to the uh, like the pickers, as as they're called in these facilities. I mean, they're a company that sort of prides itself on having a high turnover for workers because, like, they 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 don't want people feeling like complacent or comfortable in any job. Right. No. Yeah. That's that's the name of the game: hire and fire. You know, Amazon is offering to hire a hundred thousand people, one hundred fifty thousand people nationwide. You know, it seems like it's a good thing to get praised about it, you know, creating jobs, but they're not really creating jobs, it's more like recycling. You know, they're, they're hiring yeah. and they're firing. So that's the reason why, you know, this union is important. Um, how aware were you and your fellow organizers of the, the other union effort that took place in Bessemer, Alabama, the, like that, that, um, that lost the vote initially? How aware were you of uh, what they were doing in Bessemer? And did you, were, did you try to change anything? Like, why do you think that you guys were successful where Bessemer uh, initially failed? Well, uh, yeah, we, we, we uh, paid attention to what they had going down there. We actually drove down there um, 16 hours down there, uh, their first campaign to see and witness what they had on the ground. And what we noticed is that um, they didn't really have too much of a workers' committee inside the building the way we do here in Staten Island. You know, that was uh, one of their, their biggest mistakes. The first campaign was not really working on that workers' committee inside the building because it's important to have a presence on the inside. Myself, I was on the outside of the building. So I stayed and I pretty much slept at the bus stop outside of JFGA for the last 11 months and that helped. We had an inside-outside game. We had organizers that were vocal in the building, that were wearing the AOU shirts from day one, and we were passing them out inside the building, just showing workers that you can't be afraid when you're going up against your employer. You got to stay militant and stay together. And, and that also helped, you know, as a key part to get into where we are. So you, you, were at, you were at the bus stop and you were talking to people who were like coming home from work or arriving yeah. at the facility. And then you talk about like this, a workers committee that's like inside the facility itself. They're wearing the union T-shirts. They're talking to people about forming a union. Could you talk a little bit more about like how those workers committees, uh, like how that operates and like what, were, what was the pitch that they were making to workers to like get them on board with something like this? Um, well, it, it worked because uh, my lead organizers, just like myself, um, are invested in the company. You know, Derek Palmer, our vice president, um, he, he's a six-year Amazon vet. You know, I, I, I opened up three buildings. He opened up two or three himself. So he has a larger influence on his coworkers. You know, his coworkers know who he is. They, they see him all the time in the media, speaking out about workers' rights, speaking out about their rights because he's an Amazon worker. And that helped, um, you know, encourage workers to not be afraid anymore because they're like, wow, Derek's been here. He's been with Chris for over two years. Derek used to work directly underneath me and he still uh, hasn't been retaliated against. So the retaliation uh, rumors and stuff like that start to dwindle because uh, he's still employed and he's not, you know, um, fired or on a final or on a write-up. He's just organizing and Amazon pretty much can't do anything to him because he's in good standing. And now what were some of the what were some of the tactics that like Amazon and these consulting firms that they hired to uh, counter this unionization effort? Like, how did that work? And like what like what did they do to counter the efforts of the working committee inside and outside of the building? Well, I can tell you now they spent millions of dollars, uh, well, wasted millions of dollars because they lost. But, you know, I can tell you they put these workers into the classroom every 20 minutes, every 20 minutes for the last several months. You know, several months they put them in there every 20 minutes. So imagine walking into work every day and being, you know, uh, herded into a classroom. And then um, on top of that, you know, you got the union busting signs all over the place. You got the 
the, the NYPDs who arrested us a few times and myself, I got arrested. Uh, several workers got, uh, other workers got arrested. Um, not only once, but twice. And, you know, uh, once again, they're spending millions of dollars with their, their online cat, uh, ads, Instagram, Facebook, uh, consulting groups um, to stop the ALU. Uh, do you think it like uh, sort of backfired for Amazon, who, of course, like they, they try to uh, couch everything in terms of like we're a family here and like a union will will mess up that lovely family dynamic between employer and employee and that we're a nice company. You know, we have benefits. We're good people. Do You think it backfired them when their workers are seeing like the NYPD arresting someone like you or someone trying to bring pizza to the facility. That's exactly what happened. You know, they handed us a gym right there. And I actually think that's what that's the turning point in the election when they arrested us outside the building for feeding the workers. They knew what we were doing. We've been doing that since day one. We've been uh, having barbecues, feeding workers every single week, um, giving workers lunch, you know, having these cookouts over the summer. So workers knew that we what we were doing until the rest of us were organizing and, and uh, giving out food was just ridiculous. And that definitely helped, um, you know, flip a lot of undecided people because they've seen how ugly the company can be. And they said that that right there was the turning point for them. So you had you had a working committee inside the building and then Amazon brought in their own people also to be inside the building to sort of uh, suss out uh, like individuals who may be sympathetic to the union or intimidate or just, you know, like just sell the company line. Like, how did you how did you turn that against them? Because, I mean, these people are making three hundred dollars an hour to do this. Some of them are like, how did you identify these people and sort of like organize against them? Yeah, well, we of course we researched every last one of them. They they uh they stick out like a sore thumb because they don't look like workers and they're not from New York, so they were easy to spot. And uh, Amazon, you know, it's easy to spot a millionaire in a warehouse. Trust me, I can tell you that. <laughs> Where they got they're walking around with a Red Sox hat inside the uh, facility or something. <laughs> yeah, well, first of all, if you're walking around with khakis on and, and some and some uh, nice shoes and some some nice thousand uh, dollar jackets on. Uh, you're actually not an Amazon worker. I can tell you that right now. So, so you know, we exposed them. And that's what we did. We made, like, most wanted signs. We put their salaries up. We put their faces up. We, you know, y'all watch my Twitter page. I always uh, shared, you know, information about who they are, what they're doing, how much money they're making. Um, that also helped the workers uh, point them out as well. They're like, oh, that's a union buster. So we, we made it fun. We even made it, like, to catch a, to catch a Pokemon type game, you know. We have even told the workers, like, if you see a union buster, let us know right away so we can expose them. And it, it also backfired. Gotta catch them all. Gotta catch them all. But, like, like so, like, I mean, obviously, like, the, uh, uh, the, the, the fear that, um, uh, is being played upon in like any anti-union campaign is the idea that you'll lose your jobs and you'll lose your benefits. And for a company like Amazon that's as big as Amazon, they can actually afford to give benefits on day one to their, their workers. So, like, and then... A lot of times, like the the other job opportunities in in the uh, like the the neighborhoods or communities where these facilities are are genuinely worse than the ones that they have at Amazon. So, like when you talk to a worker, like how do you how do you confront that very real fear about like I don't want to lose of what little good I do have and to risk something better than than this? Well, yeah, the educational part is is the most important part. That's what we did first. You know, we didn't we didn't come over there as an established union. We came over there as a coworker or former or, or current, and we explained to them, like, we're not making enough money, even though we're getting paid better than competitors because they always compare themselves to Walmart, Target, you know, et cetera. Um, we're not making enough money to live a sustainable lifestyle. You know, we're, we're getting on a bus, and half of the workers don't even pay to get on the bus because they can't afford it. 
half of the workers are living on government subsidiaries, are are homeless. You know, there's workers living in the shelters that's going to Amazon, the trillion dollar company. That doesn't make any sense. You know, so the benefits, uh, the pay wages are not sustainable. Myself, I was capped out at $25 an hour and I had a second job. So, you know, they cap you out from the time you're our entry level. After three and a half years, you get no more raises from one of the richest retailers in the world. So imagine that somebody that's been there 10 years is still getting paid the same amount of money that somebody that's been there three and a half years. So it, it just doesn't make any sense, you know, and it took away a lot of things that can also help us out financially as well, like be, becoming a shareholder. They stopped that as well in 2018. Uh, traditionally, like I think like, you know, uh, companies, the way they like uh, discipline like a workforce is the threat of moving uh, the factory where people work. Now, I think we're seeing something interesting now with Amazon and now with Starbucks, um, these, these, these votes of uh, workers there voting to unionize. It's more difficult for companies of that size because their entire business model is based around being everywhere all the time. They can't just sort of like move, just like not have a fulfillment facility in New York City. Yeah. So like, I mean, like, did you have to, were you aware of that? Did you use that to your advantage? Yeah. You know, there's always that fear that, oh, if you guys unionize, they're going to close the building down. That is a myth. Amazon has unionized buildings. They're just not here in America until April 1st. You know, there's there's several, all the buildings in Germany, all the buildings in Spain are already unionized. Uh, so they know how to work with unionized facilities, number one. Um, number two, JFK is the main vessel in New York, greater area, um, hands down. That facility has 8,300 workers that we just unionized. Um, that building makes $40 million a day. I don't think they're going anywhere. So like, okay, you, you've won the union vote, like in like in these contract negotiations, uh, what are you like, uh, what are you asking for? I mean, like what's on the table here? What are you hoping to improve in the, in the conditions at the JFK facility and in Amazon in general? Well, we, we, we guarantee the fight for these things. You know, we don't, we don't promise anything, but as a union, um, we're going to fight for $30 an hour. We're going to fight for job security, better medical leave options, uh, longer breaks, uh, better, more t- uh, paid time off, uh, becoming a shareholder, a pension. A uh, free college for yourself and your children, a shuttle bus service that'll help workers commute, and um, uh, just a better quality of life overall. You know, we want to improve the working conditions. We want to make sure people get uh, home to their families safe, have a sustainable lifestyle where there's not too much overtime, working 50, 60 hours a week for a little bit of money that's not going to cut it anymore. Um, we want to make sure that everybody's quality of life uh, is improved and then these workers make more money. If we're deemed the essential workers, we should be treated as such. So um, that's what the union can provide. And Amazon can absolutely afford that. And okay, I mean, obviously, there's, there's, still, there's still much work to be done. But you, you've, had, you've had a victory in this vote, and you become something of a, a public national figure that's the face of this, like, you know, a, a growing, uh, like, uh, like, union consciousness in this country. And we're seeing, like, a knock-on effect of that, like I said, in Starbucks. Like what? Just what advice do you have for people who are inspired by this victory? Like just in terms of um, what they can do, but also what they shouldn't do. Like about like everyone thinks they can just you know form a union or something, but like in terms of like connecting and being a part of the actual workforce and connecting with the workers themselves. Like what advice do you have for people who are inspired by this moment? Um, well, I told everybody, you know, don't just don't just quit your job anymore. You know that doesn't cut it. Uh, you got to organize your workplace if you feel like. Uh, there's some things that need to be changed, organized. We were consistent. We never, in Brasilia, we never stopped. Even though we took some setbacks, um, we continue to organize every single day. 
um, being out there every single day, building our relationships up, earning the trust of your coworkers. That's very important. And, and being a catalyst for this revolution, uh, we want people to support us. You know, if you support us and we win a, a major contract, um, that's going to set off the, the labor movement like no other. I think what we did, we, we woke the world up. Now everybody's paying attention. And now everybody needs to get involved, even with this campaign, even if it's remotely. Um, you can always donate our phone bank or volunteer in person if you're in the New York area. Uh, we accept all of that. You know, we don't, even though we're not affiliated with any uh, other establishment, it doesn't mean that we don't stand in solidarity. Y'all see me if you've been uh, following my journey. Um, I'm always on the picket line anytime I have the availability or capacity, no matter what the movement is um, about, whether it's social justice, whether it's environmental, um, it doesn't matter. I'm on the picket line if you call me, the students, the nurses, the doctors, the bus drivers. Um, it, that's what the labor movement should be about, all the solidarity. Um, and, and we absolutely need the support of the community to take on Amazon. So please continue to support us and donate and uh, get involved. Were there any, uh, I mean, I know like you were, you were victorious in this vote, but were there any mistakes or setbacks that you encountered that you were able to learn from and that you can uh, pass along to, to people uh, considering doing something similar? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we had to withdraw. So don't, you know, don't ever um, count, you know, overestimate yourself. You know, this, this time in the campaign where you have your high moments and you have a, a celebratory moment, but you got to just stay focused because it could, it could change in one day. And we've seen that happen. We had to withdraw our first petition because we thought that we had over enough, uh, more than enough, which we did. But then we realized that Amazon just fired a thousand people that we signed up. So that was a learning point for us. And so I had to get my team together, even though the morale was down at the moment. I said, you know what? Let's go back to the basics. So stick with your basics, stick with what works. Um, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I say that all the time. And uh, what works for us was, was being on the ground, uh, that inside outside game, feeding workers, giving out free food, giving out free weed, giving out free books, giving out you know uh, uh, money for transportation. Little things matter. Details matter um, in your campaigns. And if you uh, can take care of your coworkers and just care about one another, uh, you can take on any company in the world. All right, uh, Chris, I know you're very busy. I'll let you go. I just have one final question here. Sure. Um, what would it look like uh, from, from your guys' perspective for the like uh, political leaders in New York and the country to do something worthwhile or worthy of your support? Because, you know, I mean, I know like uh, you've had a back and forth with AOC over this and what, you know, she's she's doing or not doing rather to support you guys. Like what would real support from political leaders look like to you? Well, you know, everybody's been buzzing about this whole AOC thing. And um, there's no ill will against her. It's just that, that she canceled on us and she's trying to like downplay it as if she didn't. Um, you know, that's just unfortunate. What she has to do is just show up. That's all we ask it. You know, we're not asking for too much. We're just telling her to show up. There's, there's a large demographic um, that she can relate to. And there's absolutely people in her district that comes from her district that travel to Staten Island. So I don't know why she would even, you know, fall into that rabbit hole. Um, we're just asking every politician. It's not just her. They all didn't support us. So we're asking them to support us. If we are electing these officials, they need to represent the people. And they need to show up whenever we ask because we put them in office. So, you know, going forward, this this is a marathon, not a sprint. We're going to ask for AOC. We're going to ask for Bernie. We're going to ask for all the progressives in New York or beyond to show up whenever we call for them. And 
We'll see how that goes. And they need to pass the pro act. Chris Smalls, the man of the hour. Uh, thanks so much for your time. Congratulations on the victory and good luck going forward. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. All right. Take it easy. Have a good one. You too. Solidarity, y'all. <laughs> okay. Uh, gentlemen, welcome. We're back. Uh, that was Chris Smalls, president of the Amazon Union. Uh, boys, okay. Uh, well, let's get into it. Um, I, I know you must have seen uh, Elon Musk has bought a controlling stake in Twitter. So like, now is the time to appeal to the benevolence of our new tech corporate overlords. Let's make Twitter better. You know, I mean, everyone's sick of it. I think Elon, Elon can bring some, uh, some, obviously bring back Trump's account. That's number no one. Que- I mean, obvious, no question. Yeah. And I mean, like, I, I don't know. Like, yes, yes, he will ban your account if you post the photo of him before his hair plugs or with Jelaine Maxwell. But I think there is some room for improvement if Elon makes it so you can abuse journalists again. Oh, man. that If they could just let you, like, uh, do gun.jpg at someone who <laughs> writes for The Atlantic, it would be a real boon. Please. Please, sir. It has and been like, funny that people have been acting like this is the first time, like, a bad guy has had a huge stake in Twitter. Like, the multiple Saudis haven't owned, like, equally <laughs> large shares. Yeah, and that they haven't used their, like, access to... Like the metadata to like identify and <laughs> liquidate dissidents. Yeah, they sent like they sent like two fucking idiots to like work for Twitter in San Francisco, and they were just like accessing the data of like pretty much everyone who said anything about Saudi Arabia, but like especially Saudis. Definitely yeah. got people killed. Uh, no, I mean, I th- I think Elon can do good things to the platform. I mean, my my other suggestion, like it, like if you have a blue check on Twitter. Like in exchange for re- being given that blue check and that mark of verification and authenticity, you should not be able to report people for abuse. Like you should not no. be able to mute. You should not be able to mute anyone. You should not be able to block anyone. You should just grin and bear it because you're using uh, you it for your you got career. The mark. You're you're one yeah. of our you're one of our Eloy. You're you're a wise pundit. You you there are responsibilities that come with that, and one of them is absorbing the anger. And hostility of uh, random people. I'd like a carve out for that, since I'm verified and no, none of you are. Um, <laughs> I'd like a carve out for that because it's like, yeah, I would never mute someone for death threats. Like, I, I, I don't care. You're not going to do it. And like, if you are, the worst that's going to happen is like someone will take this recording where, you know, I've repeatedly said you won't do it. You're too afraid. You you lack the executive function to kill me. But then that's my family's problem. You know when I'm dead. That's it's true. Yeah, I, I don't like. Really, well, I mean, uh, oh, you got owned. Uh, you, you don't have to worry about it. You no one, no one gets to uh, go dis you to you because you're dead. Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, but but like I I would like to reserve the ability to mute people for bad rips. I think that's a carve out for me only that I deserve that other people don't. It's not a problem. Well, that's the thing is. Yeah, like yeah, we're you talking get a lot people, of bad replies. We're yeah. talking about people who want to abuse blue checks and. What you're talking about is people who want to riff, and that's a completely different and much more awful, poisonous, soul-destroying process. Yeah, if the, David Frum, like, I don't think he, like, the only thing that, like, really gets him mad is when you talk about when his wife just freaked out and, like, on the had, airplane. A, had a... That's how he banned me. On, on, on an airplane because his guy was wearing a turban. That's the only thing that, like, really gets him to block people. Like, trust me, if he's able to, like, show his face in public and still write <laughs> shitty articles and write a book every year that's called, like, the trumpeting of democracy, <laughs> the, the, the the darkness of votes. Um, then he's already completely like he doesn't really feel bad about anything else he's done. He's no. completely he's either justified it or he's proud of it or he doesn't care. But 
if you like um, any like bad riff you would send to me, just send it to him. Just pretend that uh, you're you're replying to a joke that I posted and then he would kill himself. <laughs> I'm stronger oh, than yeah. any of these people. I can withstand this even if, you know, I'm prohibited from muting uh, a- after, you know, my carve out is denied. But other people are not. They could not go through what I have gone through for years. Uh, you know, God, God gives his uh, his cringiest riffs to his strongest uh, soldiers. That's you. Yeah. You know, I, I call myself, I don't call myself an entertainer. I don't, definitely don't call myself a comedian. Don't call myself a journalist. Call myself a smile maker. It's true. <laughs> part, part of being a smile maker is that people want to go to the factory and make the smiles with you. But let me tell you what. <laughs> Been, it's, it's been very similar to another smile maker's factory, Willy Wonka's factory, because you're all falling into the river and turning into blueberries. And you try to try to get into the gears. Yeah, you're all awful children who I want to kill, just like Willy yeah. Wonka. And there's a few, you know, there's a few Charlies out there. There's a few nice kids who really yeah. see the point of making smiles. The rest of you are awful little cherubic german demons gonna <laughs> drown in, in my river of smiles uh just uh, uh one, one exception i would take to your car without felix is that if someone did carry through on a death threat it would not just be your family's problem it would now be matt chris and i's problem because of like the blood oath vendetta that we've all sworn together we would have to make it right you know we'd have to put someone on the t-shirt it's true we'd have to uh, do like the 47 ronin and hunt someone down and then kill them and then have to ritually commit suicide this is a hassle well i mean we can you know a lot of people listen to this show i'm sure there's someone who's like able to kill people like i mean like like we're looking for the military officer anyway maybe that's how he reveals himself to you guys Ooh, yes the guy that killed me uh they say you know when you you when you plot out for revenge uh dig two graves because sometimes like another person will piss you off along the way and you'll have have a grave already dug problem solved exactly all right. Well, let's get into it for uh, for this episode. I know I mean, the last episode we were talking just a little bit about the uh, you know like we were talking the last couple episodes about like the the Florida don't say gay bill and just like the the sort of like strange and nihilistic ways American culture war continues to mutate and like the hot thing right now is uh, just uh, grooming, accusing everyone of being a pedophile. Like like this this is this is the hot new thing on the right. Who could have predicted? <laughs> yeah, uh, that QAnon. <laughs> And their thesis of uh, what makes our enemies bad is that their pedophiles would eventually be absorbed by the entire Republican Party. And you know what? Like, I'm a little I'm, I mean, I think I think this is horrific and I'm disgusted by it because basically accusing all elected Democrats of being pedophiles is our fucking thing. All right. That's what yeah. we do. All right. So, like, just stop horning in on our action here. And, you know, like if you're an elected Democrat, and you think it's like beyond the pale for just like some fucking ignorant pig on YouTube to just call you a fucking groomer or a pedophile. I mean, I understand that I'd be annoyed, too. But, you know, maybe you should have done something about Jeffrey Epstein. Sorry. You know, like it's it's like you had the a blue lot check of time, thing. a lot of, you know, you had a lot of. Yeah, that's like the blue check thing. It's like it comes with the territory. Like somebody if you're going to be if you're going to be hold higher office in the United States of America to be a figure of importance in the United States government, someone's going to call you a pedophile and maybe one out of every 10 times they'll be correct yeah this one's this one's like particularly bad because it's like yeah i i i obviously don't give a shit if someone calls like hillary clinton a pedophile i don't think any of us do but it's like yeah this is just like you know directed at just like normal yeah, people like, now like teenagers teachers right, yeah. like yeah yeah but like 
I mean, if the Democrats like really did want to hit back, I mean, it's not like there's a lack of ammo to hit Republicans back on this. Oh, my God. Like in the House alone. Jesus fucking Christ. You mean the longest serving uh, (laughs) GOP House uh, speaker who was a fucking pedophile for decades? And, yeah, and, 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 and these like are just Republicans to yeah. launder money to bribe one of his uh, victims. Yeah, fucking Dennis Hastert tried to get like an ice cream baron to buy him a house so he could give it to a kid he molested <laughs> like 40 years later. And, and, and like, J- like Jim Jordan. Jim Jordan. I mean, I mean, you could, you know, like there's probably like honestly like 70 Republicans in the House who like have some shit like this. Um, but like. I mean, Alex Azar was in the fucking Trump administration. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. Uh, I can't touch him. He's. Yeah, you don't have to talk about. Yeah, he's in intelligence. At this point, though, it really doesn't have anything to do with Epstein or any of that. It's literally uh, if you want there to be sex education in schools, it's because you want to groom kids. Yeah. So it doesn't matter that like half of Trump's like state level uh, uh, campaign uh, chairs have been indicted for human trafficking, like actual human, like like child yeah. sex trafficking. Like I mean, right. like I'm leaving aside like GOP figures of a national prominence. These are people who are all like uh, donors and party members at like the state level who are yeah, like uh, being and then a ton of QAnon people too have been like you know like QAnon people love getting bows. busted with <laughs> teraflops of child pornography. It's their favorite thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like and the other thing that's weird about this is like, oh, like, you know, anyone who wants to like sexualize your children like then by saying like again, by sexualize your children, they mean like any kind of like comprehensive sex education or just acknowledging that gay or trans people exist. That's sexualizing children. Whereas like if you're like, no, like you have to protect your children behind a, the, the veil of prophecy. You have to bring them to the veiled profit ball, the purity balls, the uh, the Miss Universe pageants. Like like that is how you protect children from being overly sexualized by um, uh, sick sick weirdos. Yeah, who, uh, have a lot of money and power. If if a teacher is like trying to molest your child uh, because he like has gauge earrings or something, like that's they see like gauges that's uh, grooming them. That's like yeah, half the like lives of tiktok account is like one out of every like 50 is like someone where it's like okay this guy this guy's a goofball but then like 49 others is like look at this fucking bitch who wore a polka dot dress to teach third graders let's kill her she's grooming them but but like yeah if you're doing but like if you're afraid of that happening like a uh like sort of rockabilly bisexual woman doing that to your kid the only defense is to get your half son who's sort of like a mentally deficient uh maintenance man <laughs> local school your secret son to d- build a city of tree branches and twigs underneath the school <laughs> where every year he has to like you know get rid of the few of the kids to protect the other ones for the yellow king yeah yeah, and like you know, and and we've, and we've talked about this before. I mean, like the this is very 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 clearly just like the 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 newest recycling of like an like an old slander that like you know like all gay men just want to like molest kids. Like that there's no difference between being gay and being uh, like a predator of some kind. That there's something inherently predatory about um, homosexuality or transsexuality. I mean, and and again, like all the people doing it are like the, the the fucking most grotesque pigs and freaks imaginable. Like, I mean, these are people like the guy in Tennessee who literally married a high school student is like behind, a, you know, like a, 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 a behind this legislation and shit like that. Um, but anyway, like I, I thought I would dive, I thought we would dive into the uh, mentality of uh, the people that want to, you know, 
uh, protect your protect your kids from being you know taught about sex in school and you know the place to go for for anything if, if, look if you want to if you want to if you want to gauge what normal americans think about human sexuality there's only one stop shop and that's the federalist.com so the normalest place on earth yeah i wanted to check in on the federalist.com to see what they have to say about all this and uh courtesy of a <laughs> Uh, a young lady named Kylie Zemple. I feel like we've probably Oh, no, we, yeah, no, we yeah, read her, we did, her, her, yeah, her article where she was like, um, guess what? I work hard and like my, my Chipotle burrito is 30 cents more. Oh, yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> should, bring yeah, back yeah, slavery. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So this is uh, uh, Kylie Zemple writing in The Federalist. Uh, the headline is, weirdos who want to sexualize your children should absolutely be stigmatized as groomers. Uh, so this is just uh, from, from today at thefederalist.com. Uh, Kali Zempel writes, what does it say about the pathetic state of the political right that instead of spending our energy advancing the ideas and institutions that promote human flourishing, we're quibbling over whether groomers is the right word to refer to people who delight in sexualizing other people's kids and hiding it from their parents? Sorry, I just I love like the new soy right wing because it's just like internalized Twitter speak from the last six years. So it's like, oh, yeah, it's really normal when we're deciding whether to call pedophiles groomers or not over on the bird site. <laughs> I w- I'm interested in this human flourishing that they're talking about. I, uh, what, 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 what are the, what are the human flourishing uh, agendas that, 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 uh, that they're supposed to be advancing? I'm still I waiting mean, for I, some I felt of like that. I- Human flourishing. I felt like I was flourishing until I was had human reproduction explained to me. It's been nothing but downhill since then. <laughs> um, so he goes, the ranks of progressive and unmistakably pro-LGBT media who spend their days throwing around insulting hyperbole like Nazi, fascist, and silence is violence are being joined by so-called conservatives who've taken it upon themselves to lecture those on the right, those to the right of them, that actually it's not appropriate to call kids entertainment creators and stake-sanctioned educators who insist on sexually indoctrinating five-year-olds groomers. It's absolutely absurd. Conservatives aren't abandoning their principles by abandoning needless throat clearing about teachers' alleged good faiths and alleged good faith and the left's intentions. We all know the left's intentions because they've made them perfectly clear. The most recent go-around started with them maliciously branding a bill protecting parents' rights, which are absolutely nece- an absolutely necessity for societal survival, as a bill that banned mention of the word gay in schools. It was a lie. The legislation seeks to keep leftist dogma about gender identity and sexual orientation away from five and not five to nine-year-old kids. Now, like I, I know, like the way that they've uh, like actually crafted this bill is like vague enough that like that could technically be true, but like it's all intentionally vague because like it, it it's designed to give the broadest leeway possible for like you know uh, p- parents to get a teacher fired because uh, they're gay or something, and like and it's also this idea that like like you, you should never like like uh, if you're if you're a teacher like you should never like let like uh, tell tell your kids if if you're gay because like that's introducing like your personal. Uh, beliefs or like lifestyle but like if you're straight like how do you hide the fact that you're straight from kids you know if you're married or or have kids or something like that it's just they're getting like they i think they like they, they they're, they're promoting the idea that like oh we it's not about don't say gay but it's about like we don't want kids to ever learn of the fact that gay people exist in human society and are like a part of it and uh, essentially as normal as anyone else is like that's what they have a problem with they just want gay people back in the closet and in the u.s senate you know continuing they want that but once again it's not it's not they're not getting it in school nobody pays attention in school nobody remembers anything that they learned in school they're getting it from the same culture 
that the rest of us are steeped in. And that's what they hate, but there's no button to press. I mean, I guess you can go uh, protest in front of uh, uh, the entrance to Disneyland, like some yahoos did yesterday uh, in Anaheim, but that's all you can do. I mean, this stuff, it really, you see like, it's just this impotent tantrum. And as long as it's makes someone suffer somewhere, uh, it's doing the job. It doesn't actually have to affect any of the, these processes that are going on that, that, yeah, they can't stop. You know, I said this the other day, but like, it's this, it's this fixation on the idea that like, uh, your child's third grade teacher or a Disney cartoon could like fundamentally alter your child's value or sense of self and identity or like, like that, that carries more weight than you as a parent in like shaping who the person that like you're raising will become. And I'm just like, who the fuck, like, who the fuck had teachers that were like that powerful over their life in like third or second grade? You know, I mean, we've all had good teachers, but like the bad teachers you mostly don't remember. Or I mean, maybe you remember if they're funny or not, but like like school and homework are fucking lame. Like if that can change your entire worldview and like, you know, contrary to what your parents are hoping to instill in you, then like chances are your parents stink. And yeah. like it, it just sort of like raise your own fucking kids, like be a better parent if you don't want your kids to just be like brainwashed by seeing Frozen. Yeah, I think I forgot the names of at least 75% of my teachers. Like, like for kids, it is really just like, it's the place where you have to go. A lot of it is just not, you know, those memories are going to get replaced by like things Dan Quinn said. <laughs> for me, at least, that's my case. Like, you're right. Like, somebody, like, somebody, like, like some. <laughs> Yeah, some teacher probably tried to like groom me into not watching a mentally ill man on YouTube for um, 17 years of my life until he was hospitalized. And they failed. <laughs> yeah, because like, like, of how my parents raised me. <laughs> like, long division has been completely pushed out of my brain by uh, the video Can He Do Eight? Of, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of Dan Quinn yeah. ripping bongs in, in, in his car. And talking yeah. about how like uh, like stevia infused weed cures cancer. I wrote like a ten page. I was like a politics nerd in high school, and I wrote like a ten page essay about Wendell Wilkie. And it's like, <laughs> you know what? All that information has been obliterated by the times that Dan Quinn used the phrase "queer the deal." <laughs> it just doesn't stick with you. Like, I'm sorry, you know. Uh, Zempel continues, uh, when the left lost and the bill got signed into law, furious executives at Florida-based Disney began ranting about their quest to inject sexual deviancy into children's entertainment. In a video call leaked to investigative journalist Christopher Rufo, Christopher Rufio, sorry, uh, Disney executive uh, Latoya Revenue uh, bragged about her not-at-all-secret gay agenda and attempts at adding queerness wherever she could in kids' shows. Another employee talked openly about his attempts to explore queer stories and introduce gender nonconforming characters. There was more where that came from. Well, I mean, like, it's just, they're giving up the game here because it's just, like, to them, like, being gay is sexual deviancy. And to, uh, you know, like uh, include gay characters or gay or deviancy in children's media is to be like, I don't know what, like actively turn, turning kids gay or recruiting kids to be gay or, I don't know, making people who wouldn't be gay, uh, who wouldn't otherwise be gay, turn gay or something. I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's the case. But like, I mean, it, reduce, it does. You could you can. I mean, if it reduces the stigma, then it reduces like the barrier between uh, someone deciding I'm going to, you know. Uh, I'm going to explore these feelings I have and see like where they go or just saying, nope, that's not, it's, it's too dangerous. It's too, uh, 
there's too much hostility for me to do that. I'm going to just uh, suppress it. And, you know, maybe that would actually make someone like in a, in like a real sense gay who wouldn't have been because they would have repressed it enough that it wouldn't be, you know, something that they even thought about all the time. You know, they, they wouldn't even be aware of how much they had suppressed it because it happened at such a deep level because of those social cues that they were observing. Uh, and this is where, you know, the liberal social order breaks down because if you, if you do think that homosexuality is deviancy, it isn't uh, a, a disordered and inferior way to live, uh, then like the, the, uh, liberal multicultural, uh, answer for all these questions is insufficient, you know? And so that's why they've all decided that they're going to try to create a, a parallel, either take over the, 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 uh, the commanding heights of p- culture, uh, the more delusional ones anyway, and, and reaffirm, you know, traditional values, uh, or creating a parallel, uh, state. I mean, the real point of this as many people have pointed out is to just get rid of public education. Yeah. Because yeah, no, yeah. If, if it's all, if it's, if it's, uh, private schools, then you can pick which uh, the curriculums and you can pick the values that are going to be taught. And then, Hey, if, if uh, the daily wire has their, alternative to disney well then you can you can still have your kid on a uh fucking tablet for 18 hours a day but you can be sure that they're not because you have like the firewall up and you've got the daily collar kids uh uh, booted into the uh into your systems then you can be sure that they're not going to be getting it anywhere else and i honestly i think that they're probably going to get it because it's not like they're the only people who want to get rid of public education Plenty of liberals do, too. I, I think, like, more generally speaking, though, we're like we're locked into a dance and we're going to be locked into it until something completely breaks and we can no longer do it. Yeah. But the dance will be um, and, and th- there were versions of this, but they happened over long periods of time. But now I think it'll be year to year, just be on the virtue of how fast things move. Uh, the dance will be like, you know, that sort of um the three or four large media companies in america every few years they're going to have to engage in like some form of clumsy ass covering they're going to have to take the uh, legitimate grievances of a group of people and try to digest it through their organs of uh superfluous creative personnel and bloated content schedules and, and try to sort of shit out a product that keeps them as as uh, little socially liable for whatever as possible they'll see like a, a you know a movement about how you know black people are treated in america and be like okay like we, we hear you we're like for some reason we're gonna do a, a land acknowledgement on the wild thornberries or something so it's just something ridiculous and with like you know legitimate grievances with like lgbt people it's you know i like I don't know what the fuck is on Disney kids or Disney plus or whatever, but I'm sure like just by virtue of how shitty all content is and how uncreative everyone is now and the sheer amount of content that can just not possibly fulfill the gaping maws of Americans. I'm sure it's like as clumsy and like stupid as anything else they've done. That's tried to have some sort of social balance. Uh, But then the, the next step of the dance will be like an insane conservative overreaction to it that, you know, ends in trying to end all public education in America and just branding random gay people as pedophiles and like getting them killed by psychos. And 
there's there's always going to be like an overreach after a while, but there will be some things enshrined in law that will take forever to undo. But there will always be a backlash to it because like both sides always overreach. No one really knows when to stop. Uh, and we're just going to be locked into that until, yeah, something completely breaks. And, you know, I mean, like the problem that they have is that like the, the more society uh, like has d- d- decided like they, they feel out of their control that like gay people exist and are part of society. Well, then like the free market system that we have means that necessarily they have to be catered to. You can't like exclude people from that because like or it's just, even if you wanted to, why would you? Because that's a market that can be exploited. Like you can make money off of them. And I, I think like they're I, I don't think they're happy enough with just having their alternative siloed like you know uh, daily caller or tucker for kids fucking uh like children's programming you know like i i think the idea that like someone somewhere uh still believes that it's okay to be gay and that like the 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 market our government our culture our society is like more than or is fine with that i think that's what drives them crazy well i mean there's that but it's also like they need you know disparity like they, it's the same reason that like you know I'm sure some people on that side thought like, oh, we're, we'll have the free speech social media network and, you know, you know, 70 million people or whatever they think like voted for Trump. They'll all go on that or like, you know, 20 percent of them will go on that and it'll be like a rousing success. But they keep like crawling back to these platforms that they say are horrible and silence them like Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, because like, A, that's where people are. But B you know, they want to see their enemy watch them act bad. And they're never truly going to commit to the parallel culture model because like, yeah, no, they want like, they want the libs to see their conservative movie on Disney plus. They want, yeah. Like they, part of it is like, yeah, the, the quest to upset people. It's the same reason that like, what, you know, like you see people who like, they don't have to wear a mask. Um, and they like go into a restaurant where like a server is like wearing a mask on their own volition and just like scream at them. It's like, well, like what the fuck? You don't have to do anything. Yeah, and I, I mean, it's also the same reason why like 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 left wing or like liberal alternatives to Twitter have also failed. It's because everyone wants the everyone wants to piss off the other person, you know. Like everyone wants to be locked in this cage together. Because like, what's the point of doing posts if you're not going to rile someone up? Yeah, yeah. Continuing the Federalist, uh, she writes. Uh, the left's record on morphing natural sexual mores, however, didn't start yesterday. So we don't have to speculate about whether this might be some sort of unfortunate fluke that leaves an otherwise spotless enterprise with egg on its face. Have the conservatives resisting the use of the groomer label forgotten about the concerted effort by gender activists to host drag queen story hours for little children in taxpayer funded libraries or drag tastic camps at museums? Have they not seen the pornographic books introducing kids to gay sex and masturbation? How about the government's school teachers, government school teachers documented cult like allegiance to gay pride the cover-up of sexual assault resulting from trans bathroom policies or the coaxing of children into sex confusion and dangerous gender bending gender bending interventions and then hiding it from their parents have they not heard stories of young people who internalized backward notions about human sexuality during their formative years were utterly failed by every institution that should have helped them correct course then went underwent destructive procedures that left them full of regret just disfigured shells of the unique and beautiful people they were created to be uh, is she just talking about being catholic is she talking I mean, like She's literally just talking about being raised Catholic. Just be like, yeah, like it, uh, it takes your natural, healthy sexual development and warps it into this disgusting, horrible thing that leaves you a bitter husk of a person that's like deformed in some way for the rest of their adult life. Hmm, that sounds familiar. Oh, wait. And also um, covering up the abuse of child children on a massive scale. 
What, what is that, that sounds familiar to me. This this sounds just like being Catholic. Yeah, it just it's horrifying to think of like a innocent 15 year old girl who is given all these backwards ideas about sexuality and, you know, starts making big decisions when she could be at the mall being cruised by Roy Moore. <laughs> and by the way, the Federalist was the one that wrote that that published that article about how what Roy Moore did was nothing was Roy Moore did nothing wrong. Even if one of the yeah, of, one of the uh, one of the arguments for Roy Moore was that this was common at the time for like a 40 year old man to try to fuck a bunch of 14 year old girls because like it was like, well, you know, if you want a big family. He wasn't yeah, trying to start a big to, family with them. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Like, Jesus Christ. Like, I know that we have a very short memory in the culture just because of the content slop, the, the constantly open faucet. But Jesus fucking Christ, that was so short, such a short period of time ago. Yeah, but like, it's different because he's it's not like Roy Moy wanted those young girls to, you know, question their gender identity or anything. You just wanted to yeah. fuck them. Yeah, sexually assaulting them at a Cinnabon is one thing. But if he had, like, made them dye their hair a weird color. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, like, you protect children from abuse by marrying them. Yeah. No, because, that's, you know, that's like, literally, I mean, that's, that's at, yes. That's, <laughs> and it's like, you could say that's fucked up, but, like, to them, it is an internally consistent and correct worldview, you know? And we all live together in this country. And we, a lot of, we kind of seem to have thought that, like, well, we got all this stuff's got kind of got to, uh, it's going to iron itself out. And for a while, it really looked like it did like, oh, you know, this 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 thing moves in one direction. And that was because uh, all of the real uh, stress points and tensions and frictions were smoothed out by some sort of uh, Im imagined future prosperity. Uh, and when you get rid of that, then all of those tenuous uh truces uh, uh fall apart i just it's just awful when like a groomer teacher comes in between something that should be between a boy the wrestling coach and the team's doctor <laughs> uh ellie continues how about tongue-in-cheek confessions from choruses of gay men that they'll convert your children or even manipulation by the presidents of the united states that those who don't abide by lgbt orthodoxy don't see and don't respect transgender people and that so-called gender affirmation is the best way to keep kids safe and healthy there's a word for adults who build trust with children then condition them in sexual matters without their parents consent or knowledge in order to manipulate them for their own pleasure it's groomer i, I thought she was going to say united states representative <laughs> well the, i guess the the pleasure part is what i don't get like that that that's the the missing element. That's where the QAnon stuff comes in, like the the ritual element, like the reptoid basement. You know, it kind of has to because otherwise, like, w w how are they getting off on this? Like, you you imagine that Brandon is like somehow having a sexual thrill at the prospect of kids transitioning, Chaser Biden. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to house a yes man. <laughs> uh. Uh, just continuing on here, uh, she, she writes about like, you know, what, 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 what a groomer is. And she says, uh, according to the website Child Help, which seeks to prevent child abuse, grooming includes gaining trust and access, playing a role in the child's life, isolating the child and creating secrecy around the relationship. It goes on to say that signs of grooming include showing pornography to a child and talking about sexual topics that are not age appropriate. Joel Barry, the managing editor of the Babylon Bee, which has been censored for truthful statements about sex and gender, put it correctly when he said, most teachers themselves uh, aren't themselves pedophiles, but they are working in a pedophilic system designed to make kids more exploitable, both politically and sexually. He continued, they aren't grooming 
kids for specific for a specific pedophile necessarily. They're grooming them for a system of pedophilia, which will in the long run result in horrors we can't comprehend. Find your courage and stop it. System of I get, pedophilia. We, <laughs> I guess that's why the church is just individual acts of pedophilia, not structural pedophilia. Yeah, that's yeah. the thing. Yeah, those are just weak. The guys who had, they just had a weak moment or something. Well, I mean, like, yeah, they, they let in all those priests that watch Disney movies when they were a kid, and, like, that was the problem. <laughs> yeah, and there's a lot of dark stuff in Fantasia. I guess that um, is the difference between the two parties, is the individualistic Republicans, they, they're all about their pedophilic grind on them, by themselves. Like, we're all, we're all competing pedophiles in the pedophile market. We're not, we're not on the same tide. Whereas the, the, uh, the collectivist Democrats... Are getting behead, together behind closed doors to create a pedophile context where they can all benefit. Well, she says system of pedophilia isn't conspiratorial. It's an apt way to describe a depraved culture that preys upon its children in the womb, in entertainment, in the classroom, online, during global pandemics, and anywhere else self-serving adults can exploit children to accomplish their political, social, and sexual ends. The ridiculous groomer tut-tutting is just the latest friendly fire from the dwindling faction of used-to-be conservatives who care more about getting published in the Atlantic than in defending the rights of parents and their vulnerable children. According to many of them, you're too sensitive about censorship, not concerned enough about decorum, secretly racist, not a faithful enough Christian, and now too sensitive to child exploitation. But we know what grooming looks like, and if we're afraid to call it what it is, what the hell are we conserving? So that's, uh, that's Kylie Zemple. So children should not be, they should not be groomed uh, for sex. They should be groomed for work in the Chipotle mines. <laughs> they should be kept uh, in sort of like uh, shapers so that they can hunch be, they can ergonomically hunch over the fixins bar. Yeah, there should be an Ender's game for fast food workers. <laughs> so, like, uh, I, I just wanted to, like, I, I just had to, I, I know I remembered Kylie Zemple's name. So I just, like, uh, clicked on the, the hyperlink and I wanted to see uh, what are some re other recent Kylie Zemple articles. And I found one that makes a, uh, like, basically a perfect, uh, like, a, just, like a, it just rhymes perfectly with the, with the grooming article that she just did. And uh, this is from uh, January of this year. Uh, its title is Girls, It's Okay to Be Beautiful. <laughs> and the article is basically how impressed by how hot she, by, she was impressed by how hot Billie Eilish was when she saw her without green hair. And she wrote a whole <laughs> article about that. So uh, she diary. writes, it was by sheer happenstance that I stumbled upon the month-old interview clip of Billie Eilish. I paused to watch not because I'm a super fan of her music, but because her fresh and natural appearance caught my eye, and her attitudinal change kept my attention. She looked beautiful, and her easy laugh and honest re reflections exuded confidence. Of course, I'd seen the once moody and neon-haired star dressed in old Hollywood glam on the cover of Vogue and at the Met Gala. But this wasn't a single photo shoot or an occasion for a one-off fashion experimentation. This was just Billy being herself in front of the camera. It was Vanity Fair's fifth annual interview with the young star. Each year, the magazine recites the same questions about the artist's influences, the size of her following, who her confidants are, and how she feels about her style. Then they merge these videos and catch Eilish's reactions to her old self and current answers. At just 19, a bright and breezy Eilish simultaneously laughed off the follies of her yesteryear and exposed past insecurities. Um, and she goes on here. Uh, it was as if the young star, among many other developments in her life, had internalized a truth that's fallen out of favor with many people, especially those on the political left and particularly among Eilish's predecessor millennial generation. Girls, it's okay to be beautiful. 
So I, I just want to just want to like make, make clear. I know I know she's talking about Billie Eilish is 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 a nineteen year old, but she's still a young woman. And in the previous article, uh, 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 Kelly Zemper was uh, just talking about how we live in a holistic system of like the sexualization of young people for uh, you know for nefarious purposes. And in this one, she's like, "Girls today are fucking uggos. Can we can we get some babes? Can we get some babes back in pop music, please? Let's uh, just smile, sweetie, and, and and go with a natural hair color." You look so much nicer. Um, a convergence of the Me Too movement, the body positivity movement, multi-wave feminism, the smartphone generation, and the sexual left revolution has left women confused, and frankly, it's left them uglier. You know, for anyone reading that there, if you want to be sexy, follow, follow, these, follow this advice. It's left them uglier not only in attitude. We've seen that from disgruntled women in pussy hats screaming profanities at inanimate government buildings, although that's part of it. There's nothing attractive about misplaced and uncontrolled anger, whether it comes from men or women. But it's also left them physically ugly. This unattractiveness comes in many forms. Sometimes it's intentionally unflattering clothing or makeup. Other times it's grotesque haircuts, such as bizarre shaven spots that look like a bad lawn mowing job or nonstop bedhead, or flaunting body hair. Not to mention it's created aggressive opposition to the appreciation of beauty. Take a look at this PhD in psychology today lecturing adults on why we need to stop telling little girls how pretty they are. So, I mean, just, just to be clear here, Ellie is supporting uh, the people who tell little girls how pretty they are all the time. She's saying we need to bring that back into our society is, you know, basically just, uh, in, in, you know, uh, uh, incubating the idea that, uh, um, uh, yeah, for girls, it's just about how pretty you are. And there's nothing on earth more important than being a pretty girl. So she's like, um, we need to, it's okay to do that. This, this is, this is, this is Zelly Emperor's uh, point of view. Oh, this is Zelly Emperor, not Kylie Zemple. No, this is, yeah, this is Kylie Zemple. Okay. Um, look, I don't really want to be mean here, but, um, you know, if you, if you're like giving advice to all the women in the world on how to be beautiful, um, I don't think it should become it should come from the the defending champion of the 2021 mid off. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. Man. Well, I mean, it's a, it's but, a, you know, it's, you a, know, it's a harsh on. truth. But, you know, a lot, a lot of millennials today, they've been cosseted from hearing the hard truth, you know, yeah, and that like, they could be okay. a lot prettier, that they could be a lot more attractive. Well, she couldn't. But uh, <laughs> I, I, should, I shouldn't have said that, man. I don't know why I said that, Mac. <laughs> but come on, I don't know. Like you're just like just saying all these women are ugly. <laughs> just like the most average woman who's ever existed. Zelly Kempel continues to write, uh, for instance, body positivity concluded rightly that women of all shapes and sizes should recognize their self-worth. The movement wrongly swung to the extreme of glorifying obesity, such as on the cover of Cosmo and every other major women's magazine and advertisement. Here's obese star Lizzo celebrating more weight gain. <laughs> Likewise, the sexual revolution gave a thumbs up to exploitation and feminism endorsed the masculinization of women. And with each drift and deconstruction of beauty, too many women were left looking and feeling less like themselves. It's something that we're discouraged from discussing. Appreciating beauty or talking about what exactly it is opens one up to accusations of bigotry, sexism, or discrimination. What are beauty? Why are beauty standards so oppressive to women, for instance? Or beauty isn't a dress size. Nonetheless, questions of beauty are philosophical, spiritual, and to some degree eternal, and thus we must consider them. For starters, we must ask what beauty even is, and by way of a simple dictionary definition, that's fairly easy to answer. The quality or aggregate of qualities in a person 
or thing that gives pleasure to the senses or pleasurably exalts the mind or spirit. Loveliness, if you ask Merriam-Webster. Within that simple definition is the implication that there's a distinction between attractiveness and loveliness. One is subjective, the other objective. What gives pleasure to the senses of one person, subjective, might not evoke the same response in another. For proof, look no further than the billions of happy couples across the globe whose spouses range in size, color, shape, and other characteristics. She's like, just look at all, look at all the, the, the wildly mismatched attraction levels in all these couples out there. You know, whenever you, whenever you see someone who's lovely and beautiful with a damn uggo, it's just, you know, it, it, it calls into question natural law, which is really what, you know, this is what we're all about preserving. Yeah, this, the media is violating bone law, and it cannot be allowed <laughs> to stand. He goes, uh, but there's an aggregate of qualities that compose this more objective loveliness, and they can't be reduced to mid-2000s Victoria's Secret, Angel, Victoria's Secret Angels or Barbie doll features. It's this loveliness that radiated from the beautiful Eilish and can be described in part as physical authenticity. While norm-defying left, while the norm-defying left tries to define authenticity as a person's identity or whims or feelings, they miss the point of what's truly authentic. They miss the natural beauty of humankind, which manifests when image bearers of the creator practice self-control without the undue concealment of their imperfections nor their sexual appeal. Don't, don't hide all that sexual appeal away. It just give glory to the creator by, you know, not, not, not like whorishly, but by modestly well, I'm, I'm flaunting. Did, did, did Billie Eilish like convert to Catholicism or something? Like, no, she converted to having blonde happen, hair. Did anything happen? She's just changed her look, right? <laughs> she just has blonde That's hair. It. That's it. That's it. Okay. Because like she didn't before and she needed to change it because, you know, you got to have a new look for every album, presumably. Eventually well, you're going to get to one that this broad likes. She no exactly that. She didn't like Billie Eilish when she had green hair, and she thinks she's a a ten out of ten dynamo with blonde hair. And I think what she's saying is like, ladies, you know, share your gifts with the world, but share them modestly, not horishly, and 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 don't have a weird hair color because I don't like that. Uh, continuing, she writes. It's in this practical expression of beauty that both the left and the fundamentalist right can pendulum swing so far as to meet on the other side in a full circle. While the left tends to suppress beauty so as not to conform to a patriarchal standard of sex appeal, the fundamentalist religious right tends to react to sexualization with an elevation of the frumpy and androgynous under the banner of modesty. See, once again, she's, uh, she, you know, these are some home truths that she's speaking to her own side. Too many uggos. <laughs> Stop giving me, stop, stop giving me these frumps and fucking prairie dresses. We need some babes out there. You know, like this is why they like Donald Trump, you know, Miss Universe. He was like, he was Mr. Mr. Women's Objective Standard of Beauty. And he loved to see them and he loved to talk about them and he loved to be in their dressing room. Well, they should bring back Hope Hicks. <laughs> True one, one in a billion beautiful woman who I would, I would, you know, if her hair was blonde or her hair was auburn, and whether she listened to Billie Eilish or not, I would cook her the most um, autism spectrum dinner of all time. But what, what about fryer. if it was green though? What if it had green? I, I don't. I don't. I don't care if it was chartreuse. It's a beautiful woman, and that's that on that. Uh, thus, while many on the left reject conventional beauty standards, often calling them constructs, and desperately try to fit in by standing out and defying norms, the right's disdain for luxury and indulgence can lead them to the same rejection of beauty. A religious skepticism of allure and desire can produce a different kind of objectification that leads faithful women to feel that their God-given sexuality is actually a curse. No, no, it's a gift. It's a gift that you share with Roy Moore, Jim Jordan, 
<laughs> Josh the Holmes. Hemingways. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The Hemingway family. It's a gift that you share at Federalist Christmas parties. Okay. Yeah. It's a gift you share with men of virtue. Uh, when we reject the, these two extremes, we find freedom in the middle. There is a freedom in stepping confidently into your natural hair and skin, just as there's satisfaction in hygiene and grooming. There's freedom in embracing the beauty of a healthy lifestyle, in accepting both the power and responsibility of human sexuality, and in preserving and cultivating beauty in ourselves and others. Scripture tells us inner beauty is more important than outer beauty because the latter is fleeting. But that doesn't mean God thinks little of physical beauty. No, God, God, God he, loves a, he loves a babe. He loves a smoke show. It's like he the, invented it's a, them. He invented them. It's 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 like it's proof that he exists. When you, wait, like we wait, okay, when you see Margot Robbie and Wolf of Wall Street, hello God, the perfect natural order of the universe. Yes, please, I'd like to see more of it. I'll yeah. be in church first thing on Sunday. Yeah, but like you know, um, the greater the flame, the deeper the shadow. Um, he also invented uggos. <laughs> That's true. What are the uggos yeah. supposed to do? Yeah. Like what? Well, what the, how know, are the uggos to live? And this is a, a question covenant. that you know, no, no one really has an answer for. <laughs> well, I, I think, how, I think, how are the uggos to live in this society? I, think I wish Zelly, that, I, I wish I that think, like women uggos had the same like uh, gift that male uggos have, where it's like you could start like a niche but very popular podcast, <laughs> and then it like won't matter. But I, I, you know, world just is not that way. I think Ellie Zeppelin. I think I, I. I think her advice to 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 her to you know like uh, to, to to females uh, of the uggo persuasion is that like yeah th- then you can embrace modesty and um you know sort of actually I, I, convert to Islam. We're a burqa. <laughs> that shit off my screen, please. Well, as she as she writes here, you know, like uh, that doesn't mean that God thinks little of physical beauty. If he did, he probably never would have made galaxies, flora, and fauna will ever see for his own good pleasure. When he created the world and all that's in it, he called it good. He considered it lovely. Don't let social movements and ugly attitudes shame you for pursuing and appreciating beauty. It's not an unrealistic standard. It's exactly what we were created to be. But like, I mean, if you're ugly, like then that it's just like you have to deal with the fact that you were created so that people would, you know, have something to define what attractive people are against. Yeah. You're you're there to just be uh, the gross contrast, and then you so, have to accept that and uh, and and embrace it. What do you so, think if you read this and you're like her ugly coworker? <laughs> it's like, come on, the Federalist. Like, what the fuck? You're like, I can't. Fine, I'll kill myself. No, I mean the Clinton body count. How about the Kylie Temple body count? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Everyone, uh, 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 Ellie was writing this uh, over a chorus of "Google Gobble One of Us" at the uh, the, in the Federalist cafeteria. (laughs) Wait a minute, who wrote this? Uh, 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 Zelly Zeppelin. I thought it was Corey. No, it's Kylie Zeppelin. Is this a different broad from the first one? It's the same. It's the same person. Yeah. I Kylie Zemple, I thought her name was. Okay. I'm doing this on purpose, Matt. What happens to like Sean Davis? Like one of the most horrifying looking. Oh, God. Ever. Oh, my Sean God. Davis. Oh, Sean, God. Sean Davis, who like hollowed in 2014. <laughs> Sean Davis commuting to D.C. from the undead Berg. <laughs> what do you do if God has given you 300 teeth? <laughs> 300 teeth and the, and they're all like a a shade of yellow brown that hasn't existed since the 70s oh boy yes uh, I'll, I'll get her name right this time both of these articles were written by kylie zemple kylie zemple think, so do you think that like they're gonna give sean davis like the chad surgery <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I mean, no, because that would be like, uh, like I mean, obviously they're against people transitioning in, oh, yeah. and you know, or, or changing. Uh, like okay, yeah, but that's not, anyway. that's a good question though. What about they? They're not talking about like just cosmetic surgery, where to you know, not to change your your gender, but to uh, to like change exempl- your rotten appearance. <laughs> Yeah, to like just fix yourself so that you look good for other people because people want to look. It's it's godly to look at someone who looks good. So that means isn't it honestly your moral responsibility to get plastic surgery if you're ugly or or like let's and say it's you actually got like immoral a, to walk around with a busted fucking mug. God does not want you having small tits. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> he wants he wants C and D cups or higher out there, just fucking proclaiming his glory to the world and like. Just oh, like, oh, you were born that way. Like, should that stop you? Fuck no. Bring them out, ladies. There's nothing wrong with being pretty. And there's nothing more important than being a pretty girl. It's true. And, but but also, like, we should all work hard to fight the way our culture overly sexualizes young people. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. it's, it's, it's just it's like like a like a nice painting. Beautiful. Not like I want to fuck you. Beautiful. None of that. You know, it's like it's like Michelangelo's David. You know, it's just like that's beauty. You don't you don't have to want to suck the statue's penis. <laughs> but I mean, like it's 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 just keep that to yourself. You know what I'm saying? Like proclaim God's beauty, but don't suck off the statues. Just like yeah. just make it make it make it into your avatar on Twitter. But like I know I know we all want to suck Michelangelo's David off, you know, because like he that is the perfect. That's the perfect representation of like the human form and the biggest dick ever. Let's just not let's not sexualize Michelangelo's David. Okay, let's not, let's stop grooming David. That's what I'm Stop, stop grooming statues. Oh, my God. It's the perfect uh, culture war confluence. The, the liberals, they don't want to uh, pull down statues anymore. They want to groom them. <laughs> they want to they pull them down, but they want to attach it to the dick of the statue and sort of pull it back and forth to see if it gets bigger. That would be funny if somebody like found a Robert E. Lee statue and just wanted to turn it into Roberta Lee. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, there you go. That's uh, that, that, that's the Federalist. Uh, that's uh, Ellie Zemper. Corey Florbson. <laughs> there we go. I mean, she's, she's the key to success at the Federalist is knowing how to party, but within certain 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 confines. You know, like let's just not let's not be whorish about it. Let's be very restrained and modest the in our way. freakish sexual desires. The classic middle way that we all love. And ladies, like, uh, stop with the stop with the updos. Stop with the stop with the green hair. Stop with the nose rings. You know, just just like simple simple dress that shows a little bit of cleavage, and then just like big surgically enhanced tits. Of that's, course, that's 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 what God wants from you, and that's what men want from you, most importantly. So uh, there we go. That's uh, that does it for today's episode. Hope we uh, hope we worked out those issues for you. Yeah, we, yeah, we, we did. It's all, all fixed. That does it for me. Thanks again to uh, Chris Smalls, and congratulations to the Amazon Union.